Alex and Sophie have read, read the scripture for today. Out of Egypt, I called my son, a prophecy from Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. Its first reference, obviously, is to the flight from Egypt by Moses and the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea, the great deliverance God brought, which is the central deliverance event in the Old Covenant. But it also was prophetic in that it told about Jesus coming out of Egypt. Egypt is often thought of in the negative in the Bible. After they were delivered, some of the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. Keith Green, I think, wrote a book about, or a song about, so you want to go back to Egypt. The cucumbers, the onions, the leeks, and the garlic of Egypt, you long for it. And it was seen by the Lord as disobedience in their heart that they wanted to go to Egypt. There was another sojourn, not only Jacob going to Egypt from the promised land, driven by famine, taking his family nearly 2,000 years before Jesus, but when Nebuchadnezzar was about to conquer Israel and Jerusalem, there was a flight by the exiles who took that same familiar route from the Jerusalem area down to Egypt. Jeremiah went with them, and some think they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. That's why in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, they dig up the Ark of the Covenant in the sands of Egypt. We don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. We know when the handwriting appeared on the wall in Babylon that Daniel interpreted the handwriting on the wall by saying you've brought all of these sacred items from the temple in Jerusalem and you're drinking your wine and eating your meals with these holy tools and dishes that were in the temple and God has weighed you in the balance and found wanting but he does not mention the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant mysteriously disappeared and some think it took that route from Jerusalem down then along the Mediterranean Sea across the Isthmus to Egypt which is the familiar route that Jews took back in the first century. There was already a large enclave of Jews in Egypt at the time of Jesus. Tradition identifies the community, the large Jewish community in Egypt as somewhere near Cairo of today. There are stations all along where you can go and see traditionally that the Holy Family spent the night here when they fled in the middle of the night and this is where they stopped to get water and this is a home that took them in and along the way, almost two weeks probably in the journey to get there, there are places identified in tradition where the Holy Family stayed. A whole body of literature grew up about this infancy and early childhood period in the life of Jesus. Many of the documents we call pseudopigrapha, which are false writings that are identified with Mary or Philip or one of the other apostles. Many of those false writings had to do with this period in Egypt. There are actually a number of books about it. I read a, an extensive chronology of the trip that the Holy Family took that is published in a book and built from all of these pseudopigrapha. 
It's 40 or 50 pages about where the Holy Family went, where they stayed. None of this do we actually know. All of it, tradition and in the books some people might call the lost books of the Bible, which really aren't lost books of the Bible, okay? The early Christians knew the documents that originated with the apostles. That was one of the criteria. And maybe a document in the second or third century was called the Gospel of Peter or something, but they knew it didn't come from Peter, that it was at a later date. And so our New Testament, along with the Catholic New Testament, is the same 27 books. None of these pseudopigrapha were included in the canon because they were known not to be authored by the folks whose name was in the title and to have originated from a later period. Don't be confused about that. If you've read Christ the Lord out of Egypt by Anne Rice, a local author here, her entire novel there is really based on the pseudopigrapha. And Christianity Today and others have recognized it as a significant spiritual book, surprisingly. And she had her conversion to Christianity and then wrote Christ the Lord out of Egypt. And it purports to be about the time when Jesus was seven or eight years old. Any life may be divided into eras or periods. If you go study the life of Jesus and read the commentaries, they will outline the life of Jesus with these different eras. And one of the eras is the flight to Egypt, the sojourn in Egypt. It happened at a time when he was a preschooler. I was checking out at Bromart here recently and saw a young lady I'd not seen before, and I said, are you new? She said, oh, no, I've been here three months. (laughs) Well, that was just, that was, she thought she was an old-timer. You know, to me, that's just a drop in a bucket, three months. I said, well, are you a student? She said, I'm going to be starting in January. I said, what are you going to study? She said, early childhood education. I said, that's a great study. In fact, in our day, we've learned how important those years are for human development. In education, psychology, sociology, anthropology, everybody's now recognizing early childhood education is of the utmost importance. It is when the personality is developing, when the child develops the ability for abstract thought and vocalizing those abstractions. Motor skills are developing along with cognitive skills. Early childhood education, that period is very important in the life of a child. We have our early learning center here because we acknowledge and recognize that teaching children who are three and four and five years old is very important. Teaching them about the love of God and the grace of God, the presence of God in their lives, which we do in a deliberate way here every day. Jesus spent his early childhood in the sojourn in Egypt. Although some commentators think it was a very short time, maybe as short as three weeks, most believe, like the Coptic Christians hold in Egypt, that Jesus was there and the Holy Family was in Egypt for probably three and a half years until the death of Herod and his successor came. These are three and a half critical years in the growth and development of the child Jesus. 
You might think, well, it is unfortunate that the child Jesus was in Egypt, away from his grandparents. Tradition holds that Mary's parents were Joachim and Anne. There's actually a church to St. Anne in the old city of Jerusalem, Mary's mother by tradition. They weren't able to be with Joachim and Anne or Mary's parents, whatever their names might have been, or the family of Joseph. They were on a sojourn in a distant land called Egypt. And maybe you're thinking that was unfortunate, and maybe you in your life can identify the eras as well that you've lived through. And when you think back on your life, you could see these different periods of time where you spent maybe years in a difficult place or in a strange land. Sometimes we suppose, well, it's unfortunate that I had this sojourn in this particular place, in this difficult experience. And if I'd had to make the choices over again, I would have done it differently. Sometimes, like Mary and Joseph, we seem to have no choice in the matter. We've got to go. Sometimes a strange place is the right place to be. It was for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. The infants were slaughtered in Bethlehem. Herod had his eye on Bethlehem. Herod was murderous. That was his reputation. He killed his own children and his own wife to protect his power and his throne. The slaughter of these infants in Bethlehem barely makes a ripple in his biography. So bloodthirsty was this man. He had his eye on Bethlehem particularly. Herod the Great was a great builder. He built magnificent structures throughout the Holy Land. And one of the things he did was he added 200 feet to a mountain in the fields in Bethlehem. It's now called the Herodian. It is honeycombed with ladders and stairs and, and hallways and tunnels. On the top of the Herodian is this great banquet hall where he entertained his guests. And only recently did we discover that Herod, great King Herod, had his grave on the slopes of this artificial mountain he made in the fields near Bethlehem. Why? Because he wanted to be the king of Bethlehem, greater than King David in Israel. And no little child was going to threaten this man's ego, his power, and his throne. So he took him out. And a great weeping happened to Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel is buried on the way to Bethlehem. It's where she died in childbirth with Benjamin. Weeping for her children because they are not. Herod's eye was on Bethlehem. It was not a safe place to be. And Egypt, though it was hundreds of miles away, maybe like a journey from here to Shreveport, which isn't that far to us. But if you're traveling by foot, it's a long journey, maybe two weeks, maybe longer. Most people assume it took them at least two weeks to get from Jerusalem to the place they stayed in Egypt. That's a long journey. And Egypt is a strange land. It's a strange culture. And though there is an enclave of Jews there, they are a bubble in a larger culture that speaks a different language and has a different religion and different ideas and different values. 
And even though they live in an enclave of Jews in Egypt, they are strangers in a strange land. But sometimes that's where you need to be. Though maybe you don't know it. Maybe you yourself are in one of those strange times where you feel like a foreigner in a land that really isn't yours feel a little displaced, sort of out of place, not in the familiar surroundings of your upbringing, your birth, and where your family is. Now you're in some different place in life, and it feels strange to you, and sometimes you wonder if it's the right place to be. And you ought to read this story with comfort, knowing that even the child Jesus was in the right place when he was in a strange place. He was driven out of his land. The scripture says he came into the world that he had made and the world did not know him. He came to the people that were his own and his own did not receive him. Somebody wrote that Jesus was the stranger of Galilee. A stranger as well in Egypt. Maybe something like you. Do not despise the time that feels out of sync and out of place. For God is able to do in this time things that he cannot do in any other time in your life. Maybe there was a bonding that happened between Mary and Joseph as they spent these years in Egypt away from their family. As good as family and grandparents may be, God can use that separation in the life of that young family. Hey, I am a grandparent, and I want to assert and affirm that grandparents are important, that kids need grandparents, and that parents shouldn't tell grandparents to discipline the kids, by the way. <laughs> hey, that's in the side, all right? Don't quote me on that. Told him I'm not going to do it. <laughs> other ways I want to say hey grandparents are important and they are but what the holy family discover in maybe three and a half years in Egypt is what a child really needs is a mom and dad who love them who are focused on the family who care about the child as their first and primary responsibility under God. And there is a security that can be delivered to a child in his early childhood in a strange land called Egypt by the presence of a mom and dad who love him that you can't get any other way. It is the height of security to be in this family that cares for you. Hey, maybe your childhood was something like Jesus, living in Bethlehem for a time, then down to Egypt, then back to Nazareth. I was born in Minneapolis, and before I was two, they moved to Pennsylvania, and then we moved to West Virginia, and then to Maryland, then we moved to El Paso, and I was just five. By the time I was seven, I was back in the northern plains of Minnesota. You say, you must have felt really insecure. No, I didn't. 
I don't ever remember feeling insecure or even displaced as a child because I had a mother and father who took upon the task of parenting as the primary responsibility of their life. We are here for this child. Some of you have made great sacrifices for your children. I respect that. I admire it. There is no job that you are doing that will give you a greater legacy on earth and how you care for the little ones God has entrusted to you. And maybe you're feeling, well, I've got to have help because I don't have all the skills that are necessary. I want you to reflect on Mary's resume. I don't know if you were adopting out your child that you would pick Mary as a teenager to be responsible for the nutrition and medicine and pediatric care and every other aspect of your infant's life. But God picked her and said to her, blessed are you among women. And I would say to you, mother feeling inadequate, mother not sure that you measure up, blessed are you among women to have been entrusted with this life God has given in your care. It is a statement of his confidence in you. And you not be, need not be troubled that you cannot measure up. That without those grandparents right there you can't do the job I hope they're there but if they're not as was the case with Mary God will give the grace that is necessary for you to do the job of parenting that he has called you to be confident in it every child is a gift from God amen a precious, wonderful, irreplaceable, and unique bundle of possibilities, opportunities, and potential delivered to your care. And what God has entrusted to you, He will empower you to care for. He did it with Polly Campbell and her testimony that we've heard. And he's doing it in your family. So mom or dad, do not feel like you don't measure up. You stand in God's grace in this matter of parenting. You love the children given to your care. You focus on them as the primary task of your life before God to care for them. And they will grow up with a security and a knowledge of God's love that's been communicated to them through you with whom they bond. Regrets are an exercise in futility. Sometimes we look on the errors of our life and we regret that we were not closer to mom and dad when the kids were little. We regret that we didn't have a different path, that we had to go through Egypt on the way to Nazareth. Regrets are an exercise in futility, brothers and sisters. 
You don't know how life would have turned out if you'd stayed in Bethlehem or hid out somewhere else. You followed the angel's instruction. You did what you felt was right, what you heard God speaking to you. You took the child to Egypt. You took the family to Egypt. You don't need to regret this thing that appears maybe later to be a detour in your life. God is up to something even in this time. And the imaginary path that you think you might have taken, which would have been an improvement, is just that. All it is, is your imagination. It has no reality to it. You regret the life you live out while clinging to a dream that isn't real. And what that does is it steals your energy, your focus, your creativity from the moment God has given you. The scripture says, take advantage, make the most of every opportunity. You have opportunities in Egypt, in the faraway land where you are a stranger or a foreigner. There are opportunities that are yours that may pass you by. You may not take advantage of those because you are dreaming about a life that you don't have and you will never have. That's good. Life marches on. You can't throw it in reverse. The kids are getting older already. This is the life God's delivered to you for this time. To take advantage of every opportunity is to embrace the moment without regret and say, Lord, I'm here at this place, at this time in my life, and I trust that you can do your work in me and in my family and in my children, as strange as it may be. Now, there are, there are people who feel like God has abandoned them when they go to Egypt. <laughs> They make this detour, they end up as foreigners, and they feel they're in this land that knows them not. And because the land does not know them, and their friends are not here, and the family is not here, they feel like God has left them. If you have this sense that God is not with you, that God is somehow distant from you in this era of your life, I want to rebuke you. I want you to stop it. Someone wrote to me and said, do not refer to Jesus as a child refugee. God knew where he was all the time. Of course God knew where he was all the time. God knew he was going to be a refugee in Egypt. A refugee is somebody who leaves their home because they are in danger and goes somewhere else to seek safety and refuge. That's what the Holy Family did. He was indeed a child refugee. But God was not abandoning him in his time of being a refugee, nor any other refugee on this planet abandoned by God because they are in that state. God is with us in our trouble. He is with us in Egypt. He cares for us in these strange, uncertain times of life. Sometimes he can be more real then than in any other period. Sometimes if we are willing to trust him, he will draw closer to us in the time in Egypt than any other time in our life. This could be, in fact, the premier spiritual opportunity for you in all of your life. Don't waste it. Amen. Don't hurt it with regrets. Don't live an imaginary life somewhere else. Take advantage of every opportunity which is yours in the present era. God had not abandoned Jesus nor his family. God was with them. The pseudopigrapha are full of these stories 
of how the beasts of the field attend to the holy family and the palm trees bow down to make their fruit available to them. How people travel with the holy family on the journey and care for them. And we don't know about any of these details, but we know this. God cared for Mary and Joseph and the child Jesus in the journey they took to Egypt. And he will care for you. Regrets are really a demonstration of a lack of faith. That you're not trusting God as he's called you to. God has not forgotten you any more than he forgot Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. You are in his tender care. One of the families said, we didn't know what the birds were about. When we first came to the church, you had those big blue birds up there, and we wondered what they were. They looked kind of strange to us. And I said, well, that's the sparrow. It's the sparrow in our Care Effect logo. We call it Care Effect because Jesus said, not one sparrow falls to the ground without your Father's care. Be of good courage. You are worth more than many sparrows. I startled a flock of sparrows in my backyard. They were prancing through the garden. There must have been 20 of them. I went back there, and with a great flutter, they were gone. And it occurred to me as they flew off, I thought about the truth that the Father's eye was on every one of them as they went in what looked like me to be random and completely different directions. They scattered to the four winds, and the Father watches over them. He cares for them, and he knows when one of them falls. And Jesus told the story to help us understand that though we feel like sparrows scattered to the wind, the Father's eye is on us, and we are in the center of his purpose and love. And he cares for us far more than he cares for the sparrows. And it ought to cheer us up and put a spring in our step and lift our shoulders up and straighten our spine and put a pace to our gait to know that the God in heaven is watching over me right now, strange as it seems to be in this time in my life. And the opportunities surround me. So, Lord, give me faith to trust you in this moment when I feel like I'm in Egypt and to take advantage of the opportunities and to know your tender care and wonderful presence with me and my family in this time. Bow with me, please. Now, I am confident somebody in this room is struggling with the era of life you're in. It may be the most difficult journey you've ever tried to make a young mother, a young dad, maybe a grandparent displaced from a, from a home of many years, and you're wondering, how is this era of my life going to be used by God? How am I going to find peace in this time? If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Everybody just keep your head bowed while I pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, okay? I see those hands. Pray for me. This feels like a strange era. I want God's presence, but it feels distant to me. God bless you.
All right, God sees those hands. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for these brothers and sisters who feel in Egypt at this era in their life, God, we pray for them. We pray for your hand to be upon them, for the Holy Spirit to attend to their need. We pray that you will draw close in this moment of worship to them, that you will assure each one of those who raise their hand, that you will assure them of your love for them, of your attention to them in this time in their life, of your care and concern for them, your power to take care of them in this moment. God, I pray that they will know your love pouring down from heaven upon them like a flood, that they will feel the love of God surrounding them today. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will communicate confidence to those young mothers and young dads who are feeling inadequate to the task. Lord, that you will encourage them and lift them up and let them know their resume before you is sufficient for the task because they have you to empower them. God, I pray you will give wisdom to those who are struggling with decisions, who are wondering what to do next. And by your Holy Spirit, that you will care for the brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, that you will help us know that even in this time, opportunities abound to do your work, to engage people with your love, to grow in Christ, to enjoy the journey, and to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.